Charles, you 20 year, you in the easy Air Force. Oh, I was, there you yeah. go. There you go. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Because I was in the yeah. I was in the Cold War Air Force. See, so <laughs> okay. you, okay, you, you was even more country club than me. <laughs> all right, we both, all right. We both was country club. Now that's real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you right the, about the that. Old, the only force is the Air Force. Come on <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, you, yeah. That's true. <laughs> one right, one team, one fight. Uh, here well, we go, and, hey and, man. Y'all got, got and, your own little in your, in your 20 years, uh -huh. did you ever sleep on the ground? Oh, yeah. I didn't oh, yeah. in 10 years. You didn't? Never, <laughs> never touched the ground. Really? Never. Not, a, not an airport or nothing? Nothing. We were uh, on parking lots, but we always had our little cots and stuff. We never <laughs> yeah. went no bivouacking, never was at nothing. Oh wow. And the army and the army folks hated us. Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everest Daka Joe. We bring you another quarantine edition of our show. As always, you can find us on our social media pages at No Referees Pod and on our new YouTube channel, No Referees Podcast. Joining me today, my special guest co-host, 20-year United States Air Force veteran, Master Sergeant Charles Akajobi. Appreciate you joining us, sir. Thank you for your What's service. What's going on, brother? I appreciate <laughs> you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Our esteemed, very special guest today is the founder of Cataglyph Series. He's an author, speaker, instigator of change and inspiration. You can find him on social media everywhere at KC Catalyst. The man that tells you peace and play. Mr. All Kevin, day, every day. Mr. Kevin Carroll, how's it going, brother? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I didn't wait. I didn't know I was in the midst of a master sergeancy, so <laughs> I, I have to. I have to get you know give him his respect that way. Hey. I, left, I left as a staff sergeant. My my uncle was a chief, though, bro. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He was a chief, right. yeah. So let, uh, let let you tell him behind closed doors, Charles. Where he a, he he a, a two time chief. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a baby. I'm a baby chief. I think I'm a chief sometimes <laughs> until, until they put me in check. You know how it is. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. That's how that works. That's how that we know who the real chief is. Oh yeah. Mr. Carroll, I uh, appreciate you joining our show, brother. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. But, you know, before we get into, you know, your history, background, I got a little surprise for you. You know what I'm saying? I got, I got, I got, I got a little surprise for you. You know, I know you're a Philly fan. You know, I got uh, why? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hanging up now. <laughs> what? I, what uh, 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 I think we have a technical difference. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? What Where'd he go? <laughs> <laughs> how about how about those eagles? Uh, Ain't my no brother? way. How about Ain't the no, eagles, listen, man? <laughs> listen, I need I need to burn some sage now. You didn't brought in the 
some vampire stuff in here when you got some cowboy gear on. Hey, uh, Master Sergeant uh, Charles, Charles over there, he, he got the cowboy blue on. You ain't yeah, know I got I the know. cowboy blue. You know, I got the Dak jersey up there, man. <laughs> I try to take it easy on you today, though. This, this, yeah, this, this, this is gonna be a short. This gonna be your shortest episode. <laughs> Thank you very much for tuning in. God bless you. Good night. Thank you for coming out. God bless you. Good night. Deuces. Yes. Good boy, <laughs> Cowboy fan. But but I will say, one of my dearest friends in Philly, he is a Cowboys fan, which is crazy. We work at the Sixers together, and. He loves the Cowboys. So when the Eagles and the Cowboys would play, he would wear his Cowboy jersey, like, you know, in the arena, right, and take all bets. He would always do it, right? And Al is unapologetic about his love for the Cowboys. And he does it, like, just in front of everybody in Philly. He does not care. Yeah, so, that's my boy right there. Hey, Al, what's up, that's Al? <laughs> that's my boy, Blue. My boy, Al. <laughs> yeah, Al. Um, I tell you, that's my man's, though. We, oh, except on them Sundays when we playing them NFC East? Nope. Can't do it. Uh, well, Mr. Carroll, we're going we're gonna to get into the Cowboys. We're going to get into Philly. Well, you know, I got a couple of friends from Philly that I went to grad school with, and uh, I got a couple of questions, you know, to test your 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 Philly your Phillyness, you know. What I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> but but first, you know, we got a lot of issues in in the, in the world today with a, a lot of social injustice things going on. All three of us on this on this call are fathers of young uh, black men in, in America. And I just want to just get your take on as an OG, you know, what, what's your, what's your, what's your thoughts on things uh, going around on right now? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Been dealing with this for a long, long time. And yeah, I'm, I'm the youngest old head you'll meet, but I know that uh, it's real and it's challenging. And, you know, my son actually called me, when I was maybe at the beginning of the week, and he said, Dad, I was talking to my kids about the time you told us you got chased by the Klan when you were going to school in Tennessee. And he said his son said, well, what if they had caught him? And my son said, then I wouldn't be here. He said, I wouldn't have been born. And he said his son just like paused and went, well, how'd he get away? And he said, my dad has always been really clever. And he just found a way. And he said, Dad, it just came back to mind. He said, I know you don't talk about it a lot and all the things that you had to deal with growing up. And I'm a child of the 60s. So, I mean, I've seen it all and dealt with it all. And I just did a talk and I said, it's exhausting to be seen as a menace every day. No matter how much success you've had, it's exhausting. And I try to explain that to my white friends and it takes them aback when I say that to them because they look at me like, well, all your success and all. I said, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day. If someone sees me through that lens, it's easy to equate me to something to fear. And I'm not big, I'm not imposing, but it's just the, the hue of my skin can make someone fear me. And so to know that that is something that has bubbled up to this level is not surprising to me. And, you know, what did um, Dr. Martin Luther King said, a riot is, you know, the language of the unheard. And so I'm not surprised by it. What I will be most um, 
acutely paying attention to is where you at in September, where you at in November, where you at in January 2021 with all your hashtags and slogans and promises. That's what I'm waiting for. I think that was, I'm waiting on that too, because how you just said that, I was just going to ask you, is this times a, a moment or is this a movement? I'm on, I, I got a wait and see attitude. I honestly do. Cause I've, I've been around it enough. The outrage has been, you know, generations. So there have been lots of flashpoint moments. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I really, I mean, all of a sudden, everybody want to give reparations now? Everybody want to be like, right? I mean, come on. We're giving scholarships. We're doing this. We're, come on. Seriously? Have, have you had, I know I've had at least two or three of my close, close white friends hit me and say, you know, what can I do? You know, how can I help? You know, what is... What is the, you know, what, what are the solutions I can do? You know, uh, and I really don't, it, it's almost to me like you, you, you see people posting, you know, different books they can read and different uh, things, you know, movies they can watch. But I feel like, you know, you just got to use your white privilege. I hate to say it, you got to speak out. Oh, you know, when one of my friends is an athletic director at a, at a college in Boston. And he asked me, he was like, yo, what, what can I do? I can't really say much. And I said, man, I really can't give you the answer. No, that's true. I mean, there isn't, it's not one answer to tell them how to be a good ally. I've been telling people, do stuff not for attention, right? Do what you do exceptionally well and do it when nobody's watching to assist in this. But if you posting, right, and wanting attention, then that's not from the right point of view, right? That's not the intention. That's not the right intention. And I'm just really, I'm skeptical. I just am, right? I'm hopeful. And what did I say? I'm, I'm going to be, you know, cautiously optimistic about it. I just am. And I just think it's because I've seen enough of these kinds of moments. I don't know if y'all seen 846 with Dave Chappelle. If you haven't, oh, what? That man is a genius. Just watch it. Watch it. That's all I'm going to say. It is must-see. Have you seen it, Charles? No, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm definitely going to watch uh, it. You need no, to watch it. I haven't seen, I haven't seen no, it either. It will, definitely going to watch that. It, oh, it's, it's, it's genius. And it's his only statement that he has made. So he stayed quiet until he decided it was the appropriate time to say something. But he even explains why he stayed quiet. And, you know, Dave Chappelle is a verbal gymnast, right? He's just brilliant with the way he uses words. It's, it's one of the, I would say it is the seminal um, effort of his, of his career. It's that good. So, uh, Mr. Carroll, so you bring up, you know, you're an old military guy, right? And in, in, in these times, you know, uh, the military is more of, about diversity and inclusion and everybody being equal. Talk, talk a little bit about your experience when you first came in. Was it like that back then? Or did you have to struggle or work uh, a little harder than your counterparts to, uh, to get noticed? So, what it, so, what, so my grandparents raised me and my two brothers. So my grandfather would always say, you got to be two to five times better, right? 
He wouldn't say two times. He said two to five times better, right? <laughs> Just depending on the situation, how you had right, to raise right. your game. But you said you got to be better. So I'm a post-Vietnam military member. So I came in in 1980. So that's just three years after the end, right? When right. we were getting out of Vietnam. So it was a very different military, right? right. They still putting the hands on you, right? Mm. When you were basic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you better straighten up and act right, right? Yeah. So, uh, and so in 1980, my drill instructors, they hadn't been instructed. They couldn't really like, you know, tighten you up the way they used to. Absolutely. But, but they would be like shaking. They want to put their hands on you so badly, right? So right. that's the difference right there. Mm-hmm. They're getting their cell phones. They're not even taking them from them now. That's true. That is true. You have your cell phone in basic training. I still remember 3708 Flight 121, bro. I know where yeah. I was at in BMTS. <laughs> to this day, Staff Sergeant Spear, Staff Sergeant Aguayo, those were mm-hmm. my, my DIs, right? Yep. It was a very different military because it's post-Vietnam. So you have a lot of people coming out of the war who are now not fighting, but they're still fighting a war. You have people coming into the military that are having to deal with those leaders. And the military was still very segregated in its own way. And I was fortunate because they identified my language ability So I was placed in a really small percentage of individuals in the military. So I was a 208, Charles. So I I was was a linguist, right? So I was one of those smart guys. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I I went to Monterey to the Defense Language Institute twice for Hmm. two different schoolings. Went to Goodfellow Air Force Base. I actually ended, ended my career teaching there as ATC. And I was at NSA, I had top secret clearance, I worked overseas over in Germany. So I had a very different experience from a lot of people right. in Air Force because of my AFSC. But, mm-hmm. oh, it was still, when we would go, you know, from our job onto the base, oh, you would see it all the time, right? There was a lot of tension. We're still in Germany, very different there. So I think this moment with the military, Diversity, inclusion, equity, all these things are being espoused, but you still got an old attitude and traditions that still are there, even if they're not visible. So it's always going to be a bit of a challenge because the way the military started off segregating. So I think there's always going to be a bit of that challenge. But I always tell people, I grew up in the Air Force. Like, I grew up. Like, I I learned how to be a leader without having size or presence that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot of things. I learned, you know, going through all of the, the, the leadership training schools and all the things that you have to do, all right. those things were invaluable mm-hmm. for me. And so I grew up in the Air Force. I absolutely did. And I tell people that I loved my time in the Air Force and I actually would have stayed for 20, but because I got my, I did bootstrap too, Charles. So you'll know. Oh, did you? Yeah, yes, you did, did bootstrap. Yeah. So, so, yeah, look, so look, you got Everest, out and took advantage Everest of it. Is little, Everest is getting a little salty right now. <laughs> oh, I'm good. Hey, this, this is great. I, and, I, and, Charles know, and Charles knows this, that actually, you know, I, try, I tried to go into the Air Force a year. Charles went in at 2000, and I tried to go in right, right after him, but I couldn't get in at that time because of this. 
Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't so, do that with uh, that. You know, we're and we're and we're in, we're we're from Arlington, and we went. I went downtown Dallas to the Meps. Mm. Went to, did the whole mm-hmm. nice. Stayed in that little hotel room and got the little yeah. room and all that kind of stuff. And actually, prior to that, because uh, my junior year, Charles, the senior year. Well, uh, we were in Air Force ROTC. So oh, we, yeah, wow. we were in JROTC. Yeah, yeah. JROTC. Oh, yeah, yeah. Junior, so, yeah. So, so, so we, yeah. You know, so I have my mind made up that I was basically going to follow in his footsteps. But my asthma was really, is really, is the worst of the worst, you know, chronic asthmatic scale of one to mm-hmm. 10. I'm a 20. So they wouldn't, so, oh, yeah, they so, wouldn't so, let so, you then. Yeah, so at that time, you know, and then once I found out more, you know, through the inside yeah. birds, I could have kept my inhaler on me. They can't touch you at that particular time. Right, yeah. But, you know, but I couldn't get through the the, the, the testing. So, but anyway, mm-hmm. I just wanted to, to ask, you know, uh, uh, kind of go back a little bit further to, you know, Philly. You know, we know, we know about Philly, you know, uh, North Philly, South Philly, Southwest Philly. Um, there's a lot of stories that you 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 mentioned on your on your show, talking about the PB and J with Norman, the wino races, things of that nature. Really, fun, yes. really, really <laughs> funny stories that you have. You know, just want to tell people. You know, what is it like? You know, being from Philly. You know, you grew up like you said. You grew up back in the day when there was a lot of different world than there's today. Just talk about just Philadelphia and what it's like being from there. So. There's a saying, I'm not angry, I'm from Philly. So that's the way we break it down. There you go. So that, yeah. sum, that sums it up right there, right? I, I'm not angry, I'm from Philly. So I just think that, um, you know, that city, and it's kind of interesting because I, I split time. My, my Aunt Sandy, my Uncle Bobby, my Uncle Bobby's the Air Force person. So that's who I got my Air Force thing from. He's a career Air Force He's a double dipper, right? So he did that, and he did the GS. So he's a double oh, dipper. Oh, yeah. So he's good, yeah, then. Oh. He's, a, he's what we call a two-checker. Oh, yes, two he checks. is. Oh, yes, he if, is. If you get yeah. disability, he's a three-checker. I think he is. I think he got the triple. I think he got the trifecta for yeah. sure. So my uncle, my uncle Bobby lived in West Philly, and my grandparents who raised us lived out in Bryn Mawr, which is like maybe 15 minutes from where they lived. So the main line is where my grandfather bought a home after World War II, and they called these houses the day help houses. So they literally were a square block, and they were right by the trolley, and literally the day help would get off the trolley and go to the estates and take care of the the children, the landscaping, the cooking, the cleaning of all these wealthy people on the main line. My grandfather lived in this modest, modest neighborhood on the main line. But what happened was you could go to the schools with all these wealthy kids, but they saw your address and they literally would say, oh, you're from that address, that zip code, you're going to Votech because you're going to be a laborer. So you had to actually fight to get college prep. And my grandparents taught me very early that anything you want, because where we live, they've already decided what you're going to be. You have to buck that. So growing up in that neighborhood and in that area, and there were all little neighborhoods like that all along the trolley tracks. Every stop, there was another neighborhood like ours. So what we started to understand was in a school of 2,500 students when I went to high school, 10th through 12th grade, there were only 50 kids of color, 50 black kids out of 2,500, right? And this is in the 70s. So, dude, I ran home a lot. Wow. Got wow. chased a lot. Would look at the clock and say, we ain't supposed to be over here. We need to get back a lot. Mm. 
But what I started to understand was that's also what helped to shape me. So growing up in Philly, in the suburbs, right? And then going to my, my Aunt Sandy and my Uncle Bobby's down in West Philly, that's where I would get my haircuts, right? Every Friday, that was that Fresh Cut Friday. Fresh Cut Friday. Yes, so that would be my other education, running around with the kids on the block there and in the neighborhood. So I had to shape shift. So I literally had to be one way in one neighborhood and another way when I would go down there. And I learned this art of blending and becoming and belonging very early in my life. But I can tell you this about Philadelphia. It's, it's a city of competitors. People compete there. And I think that got poured into me along with my gift of word by going to my grand. I t you know, remember that I told you I was raised Baptopalian, right? Yeah, Baptist and Episcopalian, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. my grandfather's church was Mount Carmel Baptist Church in the city. And my grandmother's church was St. Mary's Episcopal Church out in the Burbs. So I always tell people I can go to church and I can go to church. <laughs> Right. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I had a really, you know, eclectic, unusual, you know, childhood. But, you know, once again, it helped to shape so much of me and being in that city and watching the things that I watched and witnessing the things that I witnessed, you know, really helped me. But, you know, to boil it down, I'm not angry. I'm from Philly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, Mr. Carroll, you talk, let's talk a little bit about the Air Force core values, right? I don't know if y'all had these back then, but the core values now are integrity, service before self, and excellent in all we do. Now, still, uh, the, uh, still the same still, ones. Still the same ones. <laughs> still the same ones. Wow. <laughs> now, now, how have you instilled that in, in your journey uh, after the military, you know, when, when you are uh, going to, you know, handling everybody and all the professional athletes, how have you translated that in, into your journey? Oh, I think those, those became a part of my core beliefs and values for sure. Once again, when I went in the air force, I was 20. So those were formative years, right? So from 20 to 30, if you're living that platform of values, you're going to take a lot of that in. But I also have my grandparents' values. So that skips a generation. My grandparents are of the greatest generation, mm. right? So they, they've been through it, right? A world war, depression, right? And then to come out and the civil rights. So I have that. It skips over my parents. I have right. their values. Then you put the Air Force, you layer that on top of it. That's going to come with me when I'm in a locker room, when I'm in a business room, when I'm in a conference room, when I'm doing one-on-ones, I'm showing up with that and their voices are in my ear, right? Oh, Selflessness, yeah. excellence, mm -hmm. show up, remember what you're repping, remember yeah, what I'll you're see. repping, right? And so I think a lot of those things you know, those are undeniable truths that you hold on to. And I think they've served me really well in locker rooms, conference rooms, boardrooms, one-on-ones, leading teams, all of that. I think they've been invaluable. And the more that I start to understand the importance of, you know, what is that? If you don't believe in something, you will fall for anything. Right. And so I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. And so you need that foundational piece. And I think everybody should have, you know, those values. But then what are your values in action, right? How are you actually living them out, right, and demonstrating them and embodying them on a regular basis? That's what I try to do 
on the regular. I got a question that's staying right there on the regular because you talk about your upbringing with your grandparents. And one thing that I, I, I like that you said in one of your clips was, um, which is one of my, one of the guys I used to work with too, Avery Johnson. You know the, uh, the 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 doing the lonely the, work. The, the little the little general. Yeah, the doing the, the lonely general. doing the lonely work, and I feel like you know because I'm a strength and conditioning coach by trade. I've been a strength and conditioning coach for 15 years. I worked in the NBA for four years, overseas for four years, college for seven years. So when I found when I found out about Mr. Carroll, I was like, man, we have so many parallels with your your story. My brother being in the Air Force. I used to work for Nike Town in New York City when I was in grad mm. school. So it's just so many things. That's why I reached out to you. And and, and just that, that mentality, like how you said, doing the lonely work. I, I've been there. I've cleaned the windows in the weight room, mopped the floor. You know, you get things that, are, that go unnoticed. How are some of those values that you have doing the quote-unquote lonely work growing up that you instilled in some of the principles that you have today as well? So, you know, the belief that hard work never goes unrewarded, right? That's that conversation from Avery. He said right. that to me. And so that's a fact. Ha- hashtag fact, right? So <laughs> that's, yeah, right? Facts. Hard work never goes unrewarded and you have to be willing to do the lonely work. It's unglamorous, right? And not everybody's willing to roll their sleeves up. Now, you want to talk about where I learned that? In the Air Force, right? Because everybody had an AFSC and you had a secondary job, right, Charles? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody had to have a secondary job. If the bases get run over, Mm -hmm. everybody got to do the other job. (laughs) So you learn. You learn that, right? What was your your secondary job? Mr. Carroll. Oh, my? Yeah. I, wait, I had to clean off the, um, the, the runways or the air base. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm driving a two and a half, bruh. I'm driving a two and a half. Speaking a different language. <laughs> <laughs> Probably cussing in that language. Yeah. When, I had to do my, when I had to do my training, right, I could barely reach the pedal. I'm like, dang, <laughs> can't see nothing out here, right? And I'm trying to plow. What am I yeah. doing out here? I'm, I'm, I'm chilling in this bunker, right? Yeah, Listening yeah. to stuff on headphones, and now you got yeah. me out here training day. Come on, man. So that was my job. There you go. Oh, yeah, that was my job. Yeah. I, was, I was doing the two and a half time, bro. You know what I'm talking about, Two and a half time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I'm a, I'm a person. I'm a personnelist by trade. Shout, shout out to all the uh, personnelists, you know, AFPC. Shout out. And so my my uh my secondary job they put me on a gate, uh, oh. being a gate guard. <laughs> you know, we're used to working eight hours. You know, eight yeah. hours, and that's it. No that's working. not what they do. Uh, I'll tell you, twelve hour shifts. Yes, sir. An hour early to arm up. An hour arm. Uh, an hour behind the D arm. Come on. So now. we talking about fourteen hours. Fourteen I'm hours. Like, oh no! <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. And we hated yeah. when we had to do trainings. Right. When you had oh, to do yeah. that training. Oh. Uh, training. What was that thing they say? Yeah. Practice in peace. What you will do in war. Oh, <laughs> yep, yep. Train how you fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we still do that to this day. Let me take a time out to tell you about my friends over at Soul Lounge, Houston's premier boutique for the latest fashions. Chinatown Market? Check. BBC? You know they got all that. You know Adidas? And they got all of that stuff too. The swag, the footwear, Yeezys, and they got everything. No Referees Podcast and Soul Lounge is partnered up 
to bring you a special offer for listening to this episode. Go online to soullouge.htx.com and enter promo code no rules to get 20% off your entire purchase. That's no rules. All one word, all caps. Soul Lounge. Live what you love. All right. So everybody knows, right, when you first pull up at Lackland Air Force Base, whoop, you had you this idea in your head how, how it's going to be. But when you get off that bus, bus, it's something totally different. So, so take us through that first thing you, that went to your head when you got to Lackland. <laughs> <laughs> and you got I off still, that bus. I, I still see those white footprints. Get your feet on them footprints. Get your feet on the footprints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, why is this dude yelling at me? Right, yeah. yelling at me? I'm, I'm, coming, I'm coming there from Philly. It's my first time ever flying, right? I'd never okay. been on a plane, right? Mm-hmm. So we land, we get off the bus, and they yell at us. Of course, it's the middle of the night, right? And they barking at you, and they're yeah. giving you up. Feet on the, get your feet on the footprints. Get your feet on the footprints. Where are you from? Sir, I'm from Philadelphia. You come all the way from Philadelphia just to piss me off. Right? I'm like, why is this man talking to me like this? You eyeballing me? You eyeballing me? Who are these people? Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My uncle had warned me enough, though. Right? He gave me all the unlocks, like all these unlocks. He said, right, your right. first, he said, your first base pass, go to the BX. Buy all the stuff they issue you. Mm. Put it in your locker and don't ever touch your locker. Put everything oh. else in your laundry bag. Put a towel over it. Live out your laundry bag. Come on, Chad. Oh, wow. That must, be a, that must be a hack. You didn't know. Girl, that. That must your be a uncle saved you about four, four or five weeks of misery. Charles, I got zero demerits, zero demerits. Listen, I was doing people's lockers and making bank. So hold on, wasn't me, telling uh, them how I had a perfect locker, though. So, so, oh, so hold on, I don't know the inside story, so it must be something to do with, with perfect, like you said, perfect locker. Tell me the inside story to that. Six inches, <laughs> six yeah, inches. Six so so everything had like, to be six inches, right? Absolutely. Crazy, and they teach you how to fold your things, and then everything had to be set in the locker a very specific way six inches. They measured it with a ruler, right? Toothbrush can have any toothpaste and all. So I had everything brand new, and I never touched it. Wow, I lived, I had everything in my laundry bag. Wait, I got tape, popped the cap off the end post, mm-hmm. taped it in there. My toothbrush, bruh. Wow, oh, wow. and I would always get up like 15 minutes before everybody else so they couldn't see what I was doing. Wow. And I get my stuff out of the laundry bag, get my toothbrush, be in the latrine doing my thing, right? Everybody else would be getting up. Be like, Carol, yeah. you're up. Yeah, man, I'm up. <laughs> <laughs> you already up. Wait, did, now, did y'all used to sound re- re- uh, Reveille? Yes, I was up before Reveille. I was up wow. before Reveille. And I was dorm chief by now. Oh, wow. So I started off house mouse. Remember that role? So I was the admin. House Mouse is the admin, Everest, right? So I was the house mouse. Our dorm chiefs were terrible. They fired four of them, right? Uh-huh. And, the, and the drill instructor called me in and said, you got to be a dorm chief, Carol. I'm like, nope. I like my job. I don't want it. He said, you got to be dorm chief. I'm like, nope. I don't want that job. They won't listen to me. He said, you don't have to yell. You lead by your presence. 
And that was the first time I ever had a leadership position. He said, you lead by example. He said, I'll yell for you. Write them up and I'll yell for you. So wait, so when they say, he's reaching for his pen. He's re that's what they would always say. He's reaching for his pen. I would get, write you up. Write you up. Write it 341. Write you up. Write it 341. Write you up. Write you up. So I can answer for it later. Yes, so got, absolutely. So, so I got a question for you, uh, Mr. Carroll. We want to get back on track because I feel like y'all can. Yeah, I feel like I feel like y'all can do this shit all day. Yes. This is a problem. This is a. We, hey, look, we are hey, a problem. Look, we are look, a problem. Look, I wanted. I want. I wanted a uh, 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 Charles to come on because he had that experience. But now I'm like, man, get, let me find this uh, uh, lead, uh, close the meeting out. Uh, <laughs> In one of your. Uh, Video that I know me and Charles we used to go back and forth about this all the time growing up in in, in, in Texas, the wino races that you that you talked about, and one thing in particular, Charles will notice when I said it. You mentioned the MD twenty twenty. You mentioned the oh, nice you mentioned the OE. You mentioned the same. Oh, I hit them all, right? Yeah, all. all. And that's so like, how you know. That's how you know you're from the way when you right. say that. Right. So like me and Charles, right. we would go get our little MD twenty twenty back in the day. We used to get our little yep. light train back in the day. Beach. <laughs> Beach. <laughs> that, that, yeah, right. The ADO, the Thunder Chicken. Yeah, that Thunder Chicken. Right. Yeah. Thunder Chicken. Right. That wild Irish rose, some of that wild Irish rose. That's all that. That's all that top shelf wine, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to ask. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you when you we talked about the wino races. Uh, we, we give me an experience where you had another wino race. Uh, but once once you got into the NBA, and then I'm like, we're gonna start talking about the NBA experience because you know, as I know, you know, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you see, and you know, guys will wino themselves out of the league or wino oh. themselves in and like so. Without naming no names, give me some stuff that you see uh, behind the scenes when you was the first wino race in the NBA. <laughs> Man, listen, that that is controlled chaos at that level. It just is. I mean, you have wealthy young men with time on their hands. They're gonna get in trouble. They're gonna do things, and. When I was in the league, that's the 90s. It's not like what it is now. Mm. Not at all, right? It was still the wild, wild west with a lot of things. Right. So I think one of the things that took me aback was athletes having their friends come hang out or meet them on the road, mm. and then it was on. And the main places, Atlanta, Miami, L.A., mm. they would always bring their friends. Right, Atlanta because they always, you know, Atlanta had what was the name of that? There was a, there was a club in Atlanta, right? Flame or something like that. Oh, I, I can't, man. Why can't one, I, one, I is it Magic City? Magic City. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. You said it. I did it, which means I never went. But you might have. <laughs> Hearing all the rap songs. Yes, yeah, I mean, but Magic City. But Magic City, right? They would come for that. And Miami, I mean, it's Miami, right? So, and L.A., L.A. So what, what, one of the things that was really crazy was the coaches would try to manage, right, how much free time they had or whatever. But it was impossible because those cities, you could go out any time of night. So it didn't matter how busy you kept them. They would go out at 1 and 2 in the morning, 
But the craziest thing that would happen, and I had to basically create a rule about this. If you were calling me for condoms, because I kept the condoms, if you were calling me for condoms, they were free till 11 p.m. <laughs> they were $100 each after 11. <laughs> <laughs> because you're asking me to get up and bring them to you. There was a delivery fee on top of it. Inflation. Uh, How many people oh, did you put through school on that oh, delivery there was, fee? There was, there was some thousand dollar nights there. There was some thousand dollar nights there. Wait, but that's the, the meal money. They don't care. That right. meal money. For the money. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah take uh, What I'm going to do with this little bit of money? So, I that's the way it was. I was in charge of the condom bag, too. You and, know. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's crazy that you said you the didn't condom charge bag. Enough. You didn't yeah. charge enough. I was, I, I was only at, but see, me, my position was I wasn't the head strength coach. I wasn't the assistant strength coach. I was an intern. So oh. I really, so I was alone. You didn't have no, no flex. Yeah, I didn't have no flex. <laughs> right. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't Kevin Carroll. I wasn't uh, Keith Jones. I wasn't Will Samner. I wasn't these dudes. Yes. I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't a man. Yo, so yes. I, I basically, yo, E, where the condoms at? I, uh, all right, I got go. it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, it'd be 2 o'clock in the morning. Yo, where the, or, they, or they may say, hey, uh, what have I heard? You know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'll be back at so-and-so. Slide them underneath my door. Slide them underneath my door. Slide them underneath the door. Slide them underneath the door. I mean, you know, you know, you got the room list with, with, the, with the alias names. You know, you yes. got the... Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. But, but no. I, but, I had, but I was in charge of all the travel and everything, too, right. right? So, listen, no. If you want me to come, you know the deal. Money mm -hmm. first. <laughs> Money first. <laughs> no, they try, Kev, I got no money first. Man, you drive a hard bargain. I'm like, yeah, I do. I said, it's after 11, you know the rules. So Man, I was, why wouldn't the guys get this stuff taken care of off the plane? That's what I would always say. It would make me yeah. feel like I'm raising these big kids, mm. right? Because you had to, I had to use my dad voice a lot. Mm. <laughs> so, so I want to talk about how did you make that transition from uh, your, your language, linguistics background to, the, to, to being an athletic trainer, I know you worked at St. Joe's. Take us how you went from Air Force, you know, all over the world to St. Joe's to the NBA uh, to your hometown team. How did, that how did that process even happen? So I was doing athletic training while I was in the Air Force. So mm -hmm. Charles will appreciate this. So mm -hmm. I got my degree through bootstrap in okay, sports yeah. medicine, right? But the Houston Oilers practiced in San Angelo where I went to school, Angelo uh, State. Mm, good fellow Air Force bases there. Yeah, good fellow, yeah, absolutely. So Warren Moon was the quarterback then. Jerry Glanville was the head coach. I was a summer intern for three summers Wow. with the Oilers. So I already was plying my trade. My very first job when I got Texas licensure first, then I got my mm. national athletic training license while I'm still in the Air Force, was six-man football in Cristobal, Texas. Wow. Mm. So those were my first jobs. But then there happened to be like a little basketball tournament at Goodfellow, and somebody asked me to kind of take care of the players that were coming from some of the other bases around Texas. So I was there helping out the base, Goodfellow, and right. it was like a commander or major or somebody went back and told somebody at the Pentagon, hey, there's this certified athletic trainer at Goodfellow. We should get him to go to the Armed Forces Sports Championships. Hmm. Orders came from the Pentagon. Wow. Base. <laughs> wow, that's big right requesting there. Requesting me to go to Albuquerque, New Mexico for the Armed Forces 
track and field championships. Wow. And then that yeah. created boxing, mm. um, softball, um, basketball. So I was the only certified athletic trainer in any branch of the service. What? Wow. wow. So I got to actually work on that. I was going on Pentagon orders to all these competitions. I wasn't doing my job. And that's when I said, oh, maybe I could go to the Air Force Academy and work in the athletic training department there. And then that's when my commander on the basic Goodfellow said, no, I can't let you go. You have a top secret clearance, your languages, right. we spent all this money. I said, what, you paid for this degree. You knew what I was studying. All I'm saying is I'll sign up for 10 years right now. Right. I'll sign up for 10 more years right now if you'll let me go to the Air Force Academy. He said, no, I did a congressional inquiry. Oh, did you? Wow. Okay. Yeah. What, is that? What, is that? what does that mean? Yeah. Exactly. When you do that, so you write, a, you write a note to your congressman. Your congressman yeah. has to be back in touch with you within 72 hours mm -hmm. of a grievance. And so my commander finds out, I get called on the carpet. He said, you wrote your congressman. I said, sir, I, I absolutely told you, I love it here. I want to stay in the Air Force. I just want to go to the Air Force Academy and use my degree. No, I'm not going to let you, but I will let you out early. He said, if you can get out processed in one week. Now, Charles, you know wow. how hard. That is tough. That's tough to do. It's like nearly impossible, right? It's almost so impossible. He set, he set me up not to let it happen. I come out of his office. His admin calls me over and says, we're going to help you. Wow. She contacted all the admins on the base. Mm. And I got it done. And, I, and as I was out processing, the commander called me in and said, so you got it all done? I said, yes, sir. He says, worst decision you've ever made leaving wow. the Air Force. I said, you know what, sir? This is my act of defiance. Look for me on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I leave the Air Force in 1990. Right. Go back to Philly, right? Going through a divorce. Yep. And you want to regroup? Yep. So, but my boys are back there. So I go back to Philly, get the job at um, two high schools first. Then I get the job at St. Joe's in three years. I'd only been out of the mm. service three years. St. Joe's is, happens to be where the Sixers practice. Mm. So wow. while my athletes, my student athletes are in college taking classes, I'm helping the Sixers in the mornings. They got to know me, and I got asked to interview when the athletic trainer was leaving and going to the Pistons. And I'm like, well, I don't really want that job because I've seen how y'all are. It's crazy. There's no way. And the head coach said it could change the network for you and your boys. And mm -hmm. I went, oh. I had never thought of it that way. I end up getting the job. And I had only been out of the service five years. Uh, so, so I just want to ask a quick question. How, yeah. does, how does your commanding officer, Charles, and you can speak to this because you work in personnel and you, you, know, you push the paper. Yeah, you yeah. Know, how, yeah. How, 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 does, how did you get the orders <laughs> like that from the Pentagon? And then well, the, your, well, command, your commanding officer basically almost like the kind of defy what the Pentagon say. I don't understand that. Yeah, the, the commander's always in charge, you know. And if the commander wants to keep you, he would do what he has to do to keep you. It doesn't matter what anybody says. And so that, that, that's probably what happened in your situation. You know, your commander knew you were valuable. You were smart. You had all these language training. You had a top secret, which is not easy to come easy. by, by the way. Mm -hmm. Top secret costs thousands of dollars. Yes. He probably just didn't, he didn't, he didn't want to let you go chase your dream, so to speak. So. But that's selfish, though. He don't listen. I I understand it now that I'm older. You know he had a job to do, but yeah. 
he had he had a willing service member who said, "I'll do ten more years right now. Give me the paper. I'll mm. sign it right now." Is it? And then I said to him, "Isn't it about retaining people?" Mm. Right. Well, not not in your AFSC. It's not because you are a critical AFSC. Da 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 da. So yeah. one one clarity: none of my Pentagon orders ever got canceled. Like he always mm. let me go. It was when I asked to get my job shifted right. to. Air Force Academy that he said, no, I'm not going to let you change your AFSC, your job. No, because you're in a critical field. He said, I, he, and he was willing. He said, I'm not going to block any of these Pentagon orders, even though I don't like you going, but I mm -hmm. want to stay in good favor, right? right? Because he has a plan. Oh yeah. Right? He has a plan. Yeah. And people and have long memories. <laughs> That's true. And if it's coming down from the Pentagon, they know somebody, they know somebody, they know somebody. So yes, they do. Want to stay on that right side. Yeah, you want to stay on the right side of that. So yeah, keeping on the, on the, on the military theme a little bit because you know we got this thing going on right here. Man, so, can um, we talk? Can we talk some basketball? <laughs> God, please. Look, I was going to say that. That was my next question. My next question is, um, you know, so which which athlete or what type of team? Uh, really, re really remind you of, of a military team. Uh, mm, you know, question. Football. It's football. That's more. That's more regimented, and the athletes great deal more discipline. You know, your jobs, knowing your roles, all those things. Where basketball, you know, you could be an individual within that. And you know, when I worked with um, Air Force Track and Field, Alonzo Babers was on there. He was a gold medalist. In the mm -hmm. L.A. games, right, was that 88, 86, 86 games, right? Mm-hmm. 86 games in L.A. So he was on the Air Force team. He was a pilot in the Air Force, Alonzo Babers oh. was. Okay. And so, you know, that, there were that level of athlete, you know, performing. And you know this, Charles. There's a lot of amazing athletes that are oh, in the yeah, absolutely. Some of the best have, in the world. Oh, my gosh, yeah. So I think, you know, when I looked at – when I got out and I worked – I worked at Eagles training camps when I got back to Philly. Then I was, you know, doing high school football. St. Joe's didn't have football. They had basketball was their main sport. And then going on to the NBA. But then fast forward to Nike, and I got an opportunity to work with a lot of elite-level athletes there. But I would say, you know, football players, they have to be disciplined, but they're more like, you know, a regiment, a squadron, right? The way they move them around, the way they have to be where they're supposed to be following orders, knowing your role, all those things. So I think that that's – and football has always been my first love, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's the first sport I played, in, you know, as a team sport, you know, growing up and stuff. And so I've always loved football. It's always been something that uh, I, I'll gravitate to. Then the global game of football, soccer is my second one, then basketball. So isn't that interesting that I end up doing the basketball thing, but my first two are the footballs, right? That's yeah, my thing. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you mentioned that the elite athletes in the in the Air Force. <clears throat> I had a stint at Davis Mothin Air Force Base. Davis Mothin. I was a, wow. <laughs> I was a, a <laughs> I was a performance coach for PJs for Pararescue. And uh, shout out to my PJs out there, three hundred five, three hundred six squadron. Uh, you see, if you guys see that, those guys, <laughs> those guys are treated like athletes. You know, yes. at that particular time, you know, it was uh, uh, guardian angel, protect, uh, uh, potif. Uh, uh, preservation of the force and family. I was a part of that uh, that, uh, that inaugural group of coming in of train coaches, athletic trainers, physical therapists, the whole nine. And they really, the, you, the Air Force really treated those guys like athletes. 
I mean, we, our waiting room had woodway treadmills, uh, mm. walk bikes, turf, uh, all the rogue, everything. And the, 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 every, from what I was told, they, they, the, mil, uh, the, mil, the Air Force put a million dollars into each PJ. Mm. And like more than the regular airmen. And um, oh, yeah. I remember I remember when I went to went to Davis, my, I called Charles, told him I was doing I was like, first of all, I'm from Texas, but out here in Arizona, it's hot. It was it was hot. It's kind of hot in Arizona. Yeah, different kind of hot. You know, and then you know, I got my I got my secret, you know, clearance because you know, working with PJs, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're doing all top top secret uh uh special operations stuff and Air Force having elite athletes, you know, outside of the sports we see, they have some of the most superior athletes in their uh, special operations. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think once again, these are individuals that are wired a bit differently and you Everest working with, you know, athletes that are playing collegiate sports, professional sports, you know, it's just a different breed of person and their mindset, their approach, their physicality, um, their willingness to endure pain, all the things that they are capable to do to perform at a high level consistently. But here's the difference. A PJ, it's life or death. Yeah. The stakes are much higher than a win or a loss. Yeah. You make a, you make a mistake as a PJ and that's it. So mm-hmm. that's very different stakes. And I think that's what people tend to not understand when, when they're lifting a weight, when they're running on a treadmill, when they're um, doing core work, when they're doing deadlifts, whatever, dude, that could save their life or someone that they're working with. So they're a matter of focus and intention is very different, right? Than yeah. worrying about, oh, um, hopefully we got the right game plan against this team and I better get my head in the book and study that film and all that. Shoot, they better be like, dude, if, I ain't got, if you ain't got my back, you ain't going on this mission because yeah. I got to trust you. Mm-hmm. So we use those analogies in sports, but they're drawn from military life where the stakes are real, right? And the cost right. is your life. It's a very different kind of an athlete and mindset and approach. And so I think, you know, all sports people want to, you know, and business, right? They use those analogies and metaphors all the time. But to get a chance to actually witness and watch them do their work, I think they would really benefit from that kind of an experience to really understand these aren't just casual terms. Like there are high stakes involved. It is life or death. So the work that you were doing with them and helping them to be prepared for whatever mission or things they were working on, when I know once it's kind of you like realizing, wait, they might not come back. Yeah, and, and like, oh, and like and you like, raised I, your game too, right? Yeah, and I actually realized that like one day that the guys would come in to work and they would just wear cargo shorts and t-shirts and have alcohol in in in, in there. And I'm like, I remember calling Charles. I'm like, Charles, like, do you think they gotta wear the blue uniform every day? And Charles, I remember Charles told me he was like, yeah, no. those, those those dudes are special. Those dudes that have they have such a yeah. high stress job that the yeah. military really gives them a pass because, you know, all the training they do. I mean, jumping out of jumping out of helicopters, planes, high-altitude training, uh, water training, blah, 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 blah. This goes on and on. Paramedic training. It's like they do – once I started to work with them, I found out they're like a SEAL. They're a Thor yeah. 3. They're a Green Beret all in one person. Yeah, and it's right. – it's just, it's just crazy. So if anybody yeah, else – they have to make – yeah, they have to make special provisions for them. And it was a similar thing – Charles can attest to this – 
for people that were 208s, language people that went to DLI. So they treated that place like it was a college campus. Mm-hmm. So you weren't really in the military then because they couldn't, they didn't want you to wash out. They right. didn't want you to fail because you've already been identified as someone rare and yep. we got to find a way to keep you here. So we're going to change the dynamic here. So I was going to school with CIA agents, um, special forces, military attaches, people you wouldn't never really knew their real name. Right. Yep. And mm-hmm. we were all going to school together, all branches. And it was really loose there and they had to keep it that way. And it was one of those things that we have to get you through this 47 weeks of training, 47 weeks, my, my, my schooling, 47 weeks, no English is spoken 12 to 14 hours a day. Wow. Yes. Then you go to the military training thing at Goodfellow. So that could be another four to six months, three to six months of more training. Mm-hmm. So you literally go for like a year and a half before you even get to your job. How many languages do you speak? So Serbian, Croatian, Czech, German. I can read Russian. Wow. wow. Black man from Philly. What am I going to do with those <laughs> and, languages? And, and you have to stay current on them too. So it, it wasn't oh. like you had to learn them and you forget them. You had to stay current. Yes, you had, you had proficiency tests all the time to make sure that you weren't dropping off. You couldn't fall off. You couldn't <laughs> fall off. Because, wait, if I fall off and miss that one code word, yeah, yeah. stuff's gone. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be scorched earth. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Wait, Charles. Charles, Charles, you be on the headphones. Did he say right or left? Yeah. yeah I don't know. Absolutely. Dude, just, just shoot it somewhere. Just shoot. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, uh, we, we're getting back to a, um, a current, you know, current events. You know, I'm, I'm in the military, and, you know, we have, I have a lot of Caucasian friends that are in the military. And honestly, right now, like ever said, they're struggling, you know, they're struggling to find their place in this movement with Black Lives Matter and all these changes that we're seeing. Uh, what, what do you say to our Caucasian friends on, on, uh, on their place right now, and how can they help uh, with the movement or, of, for equality? So, especially in the military, so you know the Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force is black right Absolutely. now, right? She's right. Mm-hmm. I get my Air Force times, come on Yeah, now. yeah, yeah, so, Chief Wright. So, right? Chief Wright. Right, which is amazing. And when he even admitted that he could do more, Right. And so when you think about the highest enlisted ranking person in the Air Force, a a black man who says he could do more. Now we're looking at individuals who not been invested in it and not had to live through it. And they're trying to accelerate their learning right overnight. Listen, slow down. No one's no one's expecting you to know 400 years worth of what we've had to endure overnight. So I think listening a lot is very important. There's a lot of resources out there. There's some really amazing individuals who are dropping knowledge that is of value. And I just think that you have to ask for resources, find those places where you can have trusted resources 
to start to have your education around it. And then you can ask questions versus what can, so just tell me what to do. Well, I need to know where you're landing at. I need to meet you where you are. So why don't you go do some homework Mm -hmm. and then come back with some questions. And, you know, one of the things that we're all speaking from is knowing and, and living it, right? We don't necessarily have all the answers to the history of it because we've been living it. And so I think that there are some amazing experts out there within the black community who are scholars in it. And so I look to those individuals too, right? And so the more that we are paying attention to the voices that are out there, I can't cite the names right now. I'll send them to you afterwards, the people that I follow. Mm -hmm. But I just think that it's being, being someone who, you know, having the attitude, I only know what I don't know. Right. And I just I'm willing to learn. And I think that's really what's going to serve you best right now is admitting you don't know and then have a willingness to learn. Right. And then truly put an invested amount of time in learning and then asking questions of that. Overseas Basketball Connection is an app and platform that connects the pro basketball player to the pro basketball team without having an agent, keeping them coins in your pocket. Normally, when a player wants to play pro, they go hire an agent, sit on their couch, and hope the agent's out there working hard for them, not knowing if the agent's putting in their work, contacting teams, or putting them on the back burner. With OBC, we give the player the power to have their career in the palm of their hands. With our app, players can check out live openings from teams around the world and send their game film and stats straight to the team in seconds with the push of a button, cutting out the middleman agent. No Referees Podcast and OBC have teamed up to bring you an exclusive offer. This month only, you'll get to sign up for free. Tell all your Hooper friends, your sons, daughters, cousins. It doesn't get any easier to live out your dreams with OBC. Overseas Basketball Connection. Number one source for players to play basketball overseas. So, Mr. Carroll, I've been on that Delta plane. I'd have been in the FBO. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have seen what it's like behind the scenes. Uh, the, the the getting the U-Haul with the, a thousand bags, you know the multiple buses. Give me the give me the craziest story you've seen behind the scenes. It, it, it just from maybe somebody spending money on some some this or seeing a guy get cussed out and film. Give me give me give me just give me one story that sticks out in your mind because I got one story I tell you from when I was in San Antonio with Greg Popovich, and then you know and then, and then we'll go from there. That's a whole nother podcast. Hey, look, look, I know you know all the bodies buried. So, hey, you know what I'm saying? So here's the funniest thing. Because I still have lots of friends in the league who mm-hmm. are in roles that they know where all the bodies are buried. But mm-hmm. I'm now kind of their counselor, right? So they call me, oh, this joker, right? I got to tell you something, right? So I, I, I know even current stuff, right, which is crazy. So, so when I was there, I would say, okay, so we were going to Denver. <laughs> this is a funny story. So we're going to Denver. And so you, I don't know if you've flown into Denver, but when you hit those pockets, air pockets, and oh you're playing God. rock, like, right? Oh, my God. It's the worst. Yeah. Get between so, the Rocky Mountains. Yes. <laughs> so we're flying to Denver. And I can say today's because this is a funny story. 
So we're flying to Denver. We start hitting these pockets, right? And you can see there's some, we got some scary flyers on our team, right? So they kind of looking. And then I see somebody unbuckle their belt. They get up and they sit next to me, right? I'm like, why are you sitting next to me? If we go down, I know you can help me. I'm like, <laughs> dude, we done. If we go down, we done. No, 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 you know what to do. I'm sitting next to you. So we bounce and bounce. It's bad turbulence, right? You can see people kind of looking at each other, pulling a little tighter on their seatbelt. And we hit this one pocket where, like, everyone's things stay up, but the plane goes down and everything meets again, right? Vernon mm. Maxwell. <laughs> oh my gosh. He he starts breaking into prayer. Lot of Jesus. Lot of Jesus. It didn't take us. Oh my gosh. Somebody save us. Somebody save us. Coach goes, You're the last one he listening to right now. <laughs> You're not the one uh... that should be praying over us. <laughs> I had uh we had we had Mario Ellie on the, on the podcast. He talked a lot of good stuff about uh Vernon Maxwell. Vernon, Vernon perm. So we was watching we was watching Friday a lot, so he was perm. He was big perm. Yeah. That was his yeah. nickname. Yeah, we Friday all the time. That's perm. I still call him perm to this day. So, so, so give me an AI story. Uh, let's see. The night that he was going to – oh, okay. This is a good one. <laughs> so many people don't know that Allen Iverson is an accomplished artist, like a brilliant artist. I mean, literally, he could stand, look at you, and draw a caricature while he's talking trash the whole time. Just what I was thinking you. Just how you look. <laughs> right? Yeah. So on the back of the whiteboard, he would draw a caricature of one of the coaches. And then they would go through, you know, this is a game plan and everything. And then he would flip it over when they would need. This is what I think of coach today, right? And, oh, my God, he had some of the funniest pictures. This guy, No, he was so talented. But he would draw yeah. pictures. So everybody would be waiting for the unveil, like after every home game, right? <laughs> The coach would come in, talk, talk. Okay, let's go, right? He'd walk out. Everybody's just waiting for the unveil. And coach would leave him. And go, here you go. <laughs> and he would flip it over. And people were like, oh. And they would fall out. He was so talented. So talented. And I was on the bench the night he crossed Jordan, just FYI. Wow. So, yes. Oh, so, wow. I was on the bench oh. that night, too. So, so, so yeah. The la- so, the last dance hit home for you, huh? Oh, in a big way. And I've had a chance to do some work with Michael Jordan and the Hornets. And when they were actually switching from being the Bobcats to the Hornets, I actually worked with him and his leadership team on the culture and how they would shift over, right, and what that would look like. So I actually got a chance to spend some time with them that way. So you, we, we can. I didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up either, because you know, oh, wow. he, he, he can hold yeah, a grudge me. like no other. <laughs> that is yeah. true. Everybody seen the last dance? He's still holding grudges. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. One thing I saw that you recently posted was. You got a special kit for your room keys and your bag tags. Oh. I've been on the road in the NBA, and you that's just NBA, but you also mentioned for your business trips. You travel over the world on business trips. If you had to estimate, how many room keys and, and, and bag tags do you got? It's impossible. So, wait, okay. It's a, wait, wait. I'm going to walk away real quick. I'm going to just grab one bag. So that trunk right back here behind me is full. That trunk right there where the book is sitting on, right. mm-hmm. that's full. But I'm going to grab okay. something and I'm going to blow your mind real quick. One second. Okay. All right. 30 seconds later. Okay. 
Hey! Whoa! <laughs> Damn, I was not expecting that. Wait, so this is just that that trunk is full, and this is literally like full. What is yeah. that a mesh bag? Yeah, this is just a trash bag. A I put, reach, reach in there, reach one in there, and pull one out, pull one out, uh, uh, no look style. Pull one out. And give me a story for that. Give me a Let's story see, from that trip. Let me see. Where's this? DTW. Where is that? Hold on. I'm looking up for you real quick. Detroit. Huh? It's Detroit. Right, give, give me the Detroit. Okay. Detroit. Give, what's the, the date Detroit? on it? What's the date on it? What's the date on it? Oh, uh, let's see. Let's see. When is this? Uh, this is, oh, wow. New Year's Day. All right. There we go. This, no, this, no, no. This is, no, this is October 9th. Oh, 
and he had right. to find out from somebody else. He would always say, don't make me find out that you're <laughs> my state because you know I can come see you anywhere you are in the state, I'll come. So oh, he's man. always been good like that. And then wait, wait, and my boy, Patrick P.D. Hunt, he's the first person's ankle I ever take. Louisiana wrap, there's cloth wraps, right? He was a freshman at Angelo State, a linebacker. We've been friends ever since that first day we met, right? And he always said this, that first tape job, it was bad, dude. It was bad. <laughs> Give you a hard said, time. And man. I came back because I didn't want to blow your dream. He said, you're welcome. <laughs> so he said, I could have blew your whole dream up right there. We've been friends ever since. I watched him. You know, with his daughters, I've watched his, I'm now an encourager and a mentor for his daughters. Wow. Oh, so we've been friends since 1986. So, hey, that maybe that's something you need to add to the, to the Catalyst series, you know, maybe do, a, you know, re, uh, reach in the bag and then tell the story, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reach, reach in the bag and tell the story. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's yeah, cool yeah. right there, that's man. A, that's not bad. I got plenty of them. Believe yeah. me. Tell us, what, what keeps you going? What keeps your drive going? How, how are you motivated now in life? What's motivating you? So, Miss Lane, who is my chief encouragement officer, my best friend's mom, she became Shout, shout out to Norman. Shout out to Norman. Yes, so Norman was, uh, yeah, and Norman, so here's the thing a lot of people don't know. So, Norman got killed in a car accident when he was 27. Wow. I, came, I was in the Air Force then. I flew back from Germany, Han Air Base, which is closed now, um, to support the Lanes. And Miss Lane was so thrilled that I came back, and I said, Miss Lane, don't you worry, I'm going to make you proud. And I, that was my promise to them. And as she responded, you're our son now. And yeah. so that became like the cementing of our bond. And so for, I, you know, my relationship with Miss Lane was 46 years. She's been passed away for six years now. But I promised her I'll be the next you. I'll be that encourager for others. And so that's yeah. the thing that keeps me going is that I'm the 2.0 version of Miss Lane, right? I'm chief encouragement right. officer globally right i've got this at large ability with social media and platforms and technology and so that's what i'm doing and that's what calls me each day to show up and wake up right and do what i need to do is i'm carrying on her legacy yeah, that's, that's great awesome. that's awesome I, right I, I i gotta do it to you mr carroll i gotta do it <laughs> don't say brother, no I, dallas stuff no 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 <laughs> I, I told my brother i wasn't gonna do it but what i don't, do I don't even know what you're talking about oh wait 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 Ah! <laughs> Did you really? Oh, you owe me a drink. <laughs> no, I had to coin you, Mr. Carroll. <laughs> why, why you coin me like that? <laughs> you know that's not even fair. I have to have one available too, and then it's more like who does it first. I know we talked on the phone, you know, when, when, uh, a couple weeks ago. And I remember when I called my brother, I said, man, I need you to get on this podcast with me. So, <laughs> but then we hijacked it. We yeah, hijacked yeah, it. No, but that's, 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 all, that's, that's all good. That's hey, look. I, 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 hey, look. I, I got plenty more in, 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 pretty more in the chamber. You know what I'm so, saying? So, <laughs> Charles, Charles, he didn't know that's how we do. That yeah, that's how we do, man. It's the <laughs> look, fraternity. It's the brotherhood. boys on me. He dropping coins on me, <laughs> demanding drinks. You know I'm gonna send you some thunder chicken. That's what you get. Oh, man. Hey, hey, we're, we're gonna throw it up now. Look, me and Charles, me and Charles gonna make a special trip up to the uh, PDX. You know, five hundred three. We gonna come up there, special trip just to come check you out. So absolutely. You know, what was that conversation like? You know, leaving the 76ers, uh, uh, going to Nike. You know, kind of get walk us through that whole process of 
uh, uh, what what made you realize, you know what, I want to go work for the swoosh. And before you answer that question, I, I know that Nike mentality and that fraternity, because I used to work at Nike Town when I was in grad school, Nike Town, New York City, the old one. Uh, uh, so uh, I know what it was like to, you know, just to be in that fraternity. And I wish, you know, I was, I was working at Nike Town when it was cold. Did you get your swoosh tattoo? Did you get I, a swoosh nah, tattoo? No, nah, I didn't get a swoosh tattoo. <laughs> I, but I was working there with Kohan. So I, oh, I, I had a okay. bunch of Kohan stuff like that. And I wish I would have, you know, kind of like uh, uh, stayed the course with that. Because a lot of my friends from Nike are, are global and doing such a great thing. Nike takes such great care of their people. Uh, such amazing. Uh, so just talk about just, you know, when you got that opportunity to sit down and decide. I remember me and you talked about it. You know, it was a big decision for you and your boys. Uh, just take us through that process. So leaving the Sixers, that wasn't a tough decision because there was an opportunity for me to be around my sons more. And I was a single dad at that point, and I was juggling two sitters, and that was really challenging. And I would come home and feel like I wasn't present enough for them. So that wasn't a tough decision to do that. And my oldest son actually made it really easy because as I explained that we've got this opportunity to move to Portland, Oregon, and I don't know how you guys are going to feel. And I'm like, I had this whole plan, like thing to talk to my sons, right? Real serious. And my oldest son said, dad, dad, I got one question. I'm like, okay, what do we get free gear? I'm like, yeah, he goes, let's go. Let's go. Get, get that account. Get that That was yeah. already. <laughs> it was done, right? So, so that made it really easy because they were willing to move out to Portland. And so 97, I moved out here and you know, I spent seven years at Nike. And to get an opportunity to basically create my own position there and work all over the company and work with some one of you know, some of the most amazing thinkers and and creatives and just talented people was really, I think, that big catalytic moment, right, to use the, that phrase for me, right? So it sparked a lot of things in me. And I always say Nike let me fly my freak flag, right? Nike let me really flex. Nike let me do all these things that I wasn't able to do in the NBA. You know how that is. Everest, stay in your lane, do your job, you get threatened. You know how many people want your job? Do your job. Right. So that's all they wanted you to do. When I would keep saying I could do more, I could do more. But at Nike, when I said I could do more, they say, well, go do it. Do it. And so that's what I really reveled in there. And, you know, to get to a point where I have, you know, a standing meeting with Phil Knight, right, monthly to meet with him. And he started calling me the mayor of Nike. He said, I might be CEO and chairman, but Kevin, you're the mayor here. You know this place. So you can fill me in on how people are feeling, what's going on. So I really had some special friendships and special relationships there. But when I got to that point when I was torn between leaving or staying, I sat down with some of my main mentors there. And then I sat down with Phil Knight. And I still remember him saying to me very clearly, I don't let talent leave here. And then he paused and he said, you'll be the third person I tell they should go. We would be selfish to keep you. You have bigger wow. work to do. And we'll be proud of the work you're doing. So imagine that that send off, right? And getting that blessing. Real nice. For, from so, right. Awesome. And so leaving, you know, leaving from there, I'm like, well, I'm good, right? I'm good. Like yeah. he's telling me I need to go, right? Go forth and prosper. So I really had this sense of let's go. And it's been 16 years now. I've been on my own since 2004. 16 years. I do 
plenty of projects with them, but you know, the whole, you know, the industry Everest, everybody kind of just moves around. So I've worked with every brand that's here in town and stuff, Adidas, Under Armour, Columbia, Nike. I mean, I've had a chance to work with the Blazers, the Timbers, so um, University of Portland, Portland State, and then, you know, all over the country getting a chance. And then you look at it even globally, getting a chance to do lots of things. But he was right, right? My, my work was bigger than there. And I needed to have the ability to stretch that way. And so I've always been grateful to Nike. I've always been an ally, right, and a believer because that place really, once again, Nike and the Air Force are probably two of the most important you know, moments in my journey and San Angelo. I put those three, right? San Angelo, mm-hmm. the Air Force, and my time at Nike. Probably the three most important moments in my life to allow me to be doing what I'm doing right now. That's great. You know, I, I uh, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little jealous, man. Cause you know, I know what it's like to, you know, to get that swoosh account, that swoosh.com. And uh, you know, you probably, you know, like somebody like myself that's out of the loop, you know, you probably still got that, uh, that top oh, I secret. Still, I, I that's still got that's, that's top secret. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, I, I, don't need no, I don't need no count number. Yeah. I got digits. I got digits. I can say I got my Travis Scott's. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. The, and, the, and the low tops, which are even more exclusive. <laughs> Which, what, what oh, pair, yeah. out of your time, seven years at Nike, what's the pair of exclusive shoes that you got that you just say you'll never sell or people want from that you got? Those Travis Scott's. The Travis Scott? Not the, yeah. you know, not the Red Octobers or anything like that? No, because they're low. So I, I always like nothing but low tops, mm. right? And they have to fit a certain way. So I'm real picky with my shoes. So mm. I wasn't wearing what everybody wears all the time. So I've always been looking for, like, I, they need to be low tops. They need to be this, this, this. So my buddy, he runs all the Jordan footwear. So anytime he would see low tops that he thought I would like and he'd get a sample, he set them aside for me and he'd take a pick and say, you like these? Because sample size. I'm sample size too, Everest. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. Sample size. Oh, you get them all. Come on now. Test, test, what you know about that? What you know about that? What you know about that? Test wear shoes, huh? So I can get some one-offs for you. Right? That's, how I, that's how I was wearing the one-offs. Yeah, well, I'm, look. Sa- I'm sample size, size nine, right? Oh, uh, man. I'm size 12. Uh, you know, hey, you know, my you size. You out of luck. I'm out of luck. I'm 13. They ain't got nothing in my size. Yes, they do for basketball. That's a sample style. Oh, yeah, basketball. But that's about it. My other quick Air Force story. That's it. Uh, real quick, I'm going to give you I had two. The Davis Moss was one. You know, hey, I, I, look, I, I got to ask him. I couldn't get in, in the Air Force, so I had to do a little other little thing. Charles, you remember when I went to uh, – to, to uh, where did I go? To what base was that? I was in the Army. Uh, I had to go Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Bragg, yeah, yeah, I was in Fort oh. Bragg. Fort Bragg. And, that's uh, a jump yeah. school, right? That's yeah. a jump school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was, I was that's over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah so airborne. Mm-hmm. And, and I was a uh, uh, what's the name of the uh, the 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 test that y'all take every year, Charles? The the push up. Uh, uh, the uh, the uh, PT test. <laughs> PT test. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so uh, so one of my jobs, Mister Carroll, was to you know as a strength coach, was we're going there and like reevaluate how they do the PT test, uh, how they you know the, the push up because they were starting to integrate more females. And you know, uh, you know so, remember that, Charles? And, yeah, I remember that. Uh, so, yeah. uh, uh, you know, having to do uh, set up tire flips and uh, 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 cavity drags, 
uh, uh, litter oh, carries, things of that yeah, nature. Fireman's carry, fireman's carry, all that stuff. kind of stuff to 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 simulate uh, on the battlefield uh, in case somebody goes down and stuff. So that was that little little Air Force little story I got, you know. So so uh, you should have you should have been you should have been grabbing more like running for your MRE or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time, hey, that's crazy you said MRE. I remember the first time I had an MRE. I called Charles. I said, yo, I'm about to eat MRE. How do I, like, how do you I? You ain't get the right one, probably. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. just grab one. And then you got to get, the jal- get the jalapeno cheese now. <laughs> <laughs> that's a must. Wait, and, then, and the chocolate chip, and the chocolate chip bar. Yeah. <laughs> so I got no, wait, yeah. When, you, when you would open up your bag, Charles, that was the first thing you look at, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I want the m I was You'd be salty, yeah. right? Then you start yeah, bargaining, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I yep. remember the first time I, I had a little MRE. I was like, man, how do I how do I do this thing? This is weird. I'm sitting in my office, not in the field. So I'm just like, how do I do this? It's so weird. <laughs> the way the eating element works is when you hungry? <laughs> yeah, when you hungry. That was like that was that was a culinary delight. Yeah, it's like a steak like, dinner. It was like, like steak dinner. Like, you, dude, you were savoring that stuff. Right? You said it like, oh man, that's so good. Hey, Mr. Carroll, man, you you know you're my brother in arms. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what uh, what you're doing for this country. Thank you for what you did for this country. And uh, we hope that you continue to be an advocate for anybody who needs motivation. Um, and continue to be an advocate for the Air Force and Nike. And we just thank you so much for your time, sir. We appreciate you. You no, always be my brother. Good. It's all good. No, you know, listen, that being in the military runs, that's a very, very unique, you know, connection and fraternity. It just is. It's a very special one. And and I think that, uh, you know, when you get to meet somebody, you it's like you've known them forever, right? If Absolutely. They were in it, right? It just is. It's just that way. And you're quick friends. And I, I love the fact that, you know, I don't get to, to bump into a lot of military people. And so anytime I do, it's always brings joy, right? I always say my heart smiles because, right. you know, my time in the Air Force, once again, was formative years for me. It was really, really important. And so to meet another service member, especially from, from the force, right? The right oh, force. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah, the right force. The right force, the only wow. force, right? The only one. The only force. Right? Yes, then, you know, I just, I just had to say, you know, it does my heart good because it, it doesn't happen that often. So it's a great way to end the week, right, to, to spend some time with you. And then Everest, you know, the fact that we've got, you know, all these friends, you know, that are in the trade, right, of human performance and knowing that, but knowing that you spent some time with Air Force people and, and help to make them better is really important, too. And, and I think, you know, for all your listeners and the people that are tuning in, I think it's important for everybody to remember, just do your part. And this is my quote, right? My actions may seem small, but their collective impact will be great. So just do your part, right? Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Just do what you do and do it exceptionally well and repeat and repeat and repeat. Just keep going. And that's all we ask of anyone. And I think the more that you recognize if everybody does their part collectively, we can win the day. But appreciate we're counting on you, right? Yeah, appreciate that. Mr. Carroll, can you, give the, can you give the No Referees podcast a quick shout out for me? So here we go. Wait. <laughs> I got I to gotta summon it up. <laughs> summon it up. <laughs> if you are not listening to No Referees podcast, you not on my squad. <laughs> You are not in my universe. 
If you want to get enlightened, if you want to get educated, if you want to be entertained, No Referees Podcast is where you need to be tuning in. So you need to raise your game, get your listening up. No Referees Podcast is where you need to go. And and if if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> I appreciate uh, it. Uh, yeah. Hey, one, one, one Eagles question. Lincoln Finet. Lincoln Finet. Hold on, no, this is a simple one. Lincoln, <laughs> fi- Lincoln Financial Field or the vet? Oh, 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 Lincoln Financial. That's like going. That's like going to the Ritz. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the vet, the vet was grimy. The vet was grimy, dog. Ooh. All right, hold on. That, we, was, we, that was that was not that. Was, no, no, no. <laughs> you can't listen. You can't go to Lincoln Financial, right? And and then go back to the vet. No. <laughs> That's like staying at you know staying at a one star and then being you know being at the Ritz in L.A. No, yeah, it's, yeah. You, know, you can't compare that. No, the vet, right. was, the vet was a rough spot. <laughs> it I got, was rough there. I got, I got one more for you, Philly. Philly cheesesteaks. My friend said. I'll tell you now. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got, she gave me two, she gave me two spots. No, I'm going to squash it. I'm going to squash it. Hold on, she said. Go ahead. My friend Jennifer Lewis from grad school, she said, ask him if he likes Gano's or Max's. Neither. Neither. Well, I don't even know. I, listen, it's either Abner's or Larry's. If you notice, they're always some guy's name, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You should know if you're from Philly, you don't go to Pastor Gino's. I've never been there. Never. Wow. Never. First of all, you ain't putting no cheese whiz on my chicken cheesesteak hoagie. No. <laughs> no. Abner's <laughs> Or Larry's are my two <laughs> spots, right? Or for what is my other thing? Fingers, wings, and other things. F W O T for what, right? So what you know about that? <laughs> for what? <laughs> for what? That's a good one right there. <laughs> uh, That's Carol- how we do it, right? You want my? You want to hear my order? Chicken cheese steak, hoagie, salt, pepper, extra ketchup. Go. Oh, you, you better go. order, you gotta order like that. You can't be like, um got me so cheese, tell me how um how do you know that'll be me. That'll that, be me. That'll that be me. That's that would that's, be me. You gotta step up ready to order. Be ready. See, I would I'll be I'll be that person getting no onions and no bell pepper. Oh no, so you'll be, be a problem. You'll be a problem. They'll be like, um, next. Next. <laughs> yeah, you hear people practicing. You hear people that are new actually practicing in the line. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> they know the pressure's on. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. No. Next, right? No soup for you, right? <laughs> well, Mr. Carroll, thank you very much for spending some time with us, my brother. Absolutely. Uh, this was awesome. This is one of our best podcast shows we've ever had. Everyone, please go out there and follow Mr. Carroll on all of his social media pages at KC Catalyst all over the place, all over the universe. This is our brother, our new friend of the family, Mr. Kevin Carroll. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate y'all, man. Godspeed, peace, and play. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media 
at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out. <laughs>